Those who those who contain lack can see the horse. If you come to the show and don't see the horse, then you, you have too much desire. You're filled with too much desire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much desire. desire you need to go home and reflect. I contemplate. It's okay. I'm a maximalist and I fully own that. So yeah. that like I'm a, okay with being associated with desire and not lack because I think more about desire. Like than a champagne lack. communist. Oh. Uh, wait, a yacht communist. What we're saying. Oh. A yacht commie? Yeah, everyone gets a yacht. friends, welcome to Field Pod. This is a Field Projects podcast focused on art, activism, and our thoughts on living a good life. I'm Chris Racanello, and I'm the co-director of Field Projects, along with Jacob Rhodes. This is our fifth episode of the podcast, and today you'll hear Jacob and I interviewing El Perez in his current exhibition, From What I Remember, the night of the first day of our install, so that was before the show was actually completely finished, as you'll hear. Albert Joseph Perez lives and works in Hudson, New York. He's exhibited at galleries including Babiaga Gallery in Hudson, Venus Over Manhattan, Kimberly Clark in Queens, and Basilica Back Gallery in Hudson, among many others. Recently, Elle showed a set of finished oil paintings with Rachel Uffner Gallery. But for our exhibition at Field Projects, Elle has opened up the compositional tools he uses, showing a set of underpaintings with wall paintings, connecting them and touching the signs. With an emphasis on these underpaintings, Elle is illustrating isolated moments in a visual event by rendering subjects that are truly significant to him. Refocusing the importance in the way that people recall events or memories in their individual ways, much akin to the Rashomon effect. But while that phenomena is typically reserved for logical interpretations of an event, the show, from what I remember, emphasizes the emotional interpretation of events. This conversation was super casual as we sat around and had beers and hung works with the guest curator, Michael Howard, myself, Jacob, and Elle. So before we get into that interview, I would like to say a huge thank you to our past resident, Stacy Kranitz, who has just left our field residency, and we'd also like to welcome our newest resident, Jagrut Raval. I cannot wait to speak with him on the podcast, as I feel quite connected with his work's inquiry into the space between history and myth. Jagrut is a visual artist born in Ahmedabad, India, with an interdisciplinary art practice spanning a diversity of mediums at various scales, presented in the form of installations, alternative photographic printing techniques, videos, drawings, and also appropriation of found and mass-produced items. Raval's work seeks to critique established truths by investigating, challenging, and subverting perceptions about collective memory in the public sphere. So keep your eyes out and your ears for that podcast. So next week, Jacob and I will be back in your feed to chat about our weeks, and Jacob will review things like everything, everywhere, all the time. I talk about my New York City Crit Club course and much more. And if you like this podcast and want to support us and Field Projects, please remember to like and subscribe to the pod. And if you're feeling super adventurous, you can even leave us a review. Okay, here's our conversation with Albert Perez and curator Michael Howard. I do 
do have to tell our listeners that you're here, though. Unfortunately. Is that like a legal thing? Yeah, that's no. <laughs> no, it's totally not. It's like oh, if there's a cop in the room, they have to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're a cop in the room, you gotta tell us now. Exactly. Like your, uh, yeah, like your friend's gallery. It's like you have to, if you're a cop, you have to say that you're there. Yeah. What is that gallery called? It's called. Indictment gallery? Yes. No. Incident report? Incident oh, report. Incident report. <laughs> <laughs> you made me feel a lot better that you also couldn't remember the conversation we just had. Yeah, I can't remember anything. Thanks for coming. We're here with Albert Perez. Yes. Do you prefer Albert Joseph Perez? Uh, it doesn't really matter. I like go by so many names, like L, Albert, Joe. Um, depends on like how you know me, but yeah. basically whatever. Yeah, yeah, I've been specifically told I'm not allowed to call you Joe. Well, I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Like, all of the other people I know that know Al said that to me, so. No, it's because it's funny because like, uh, a lot of like a lot of older friends call me Joe, and then, like, other friends call me Albert, and, like, a lot of my newer friends call me yeah. Al, so it's, like, kind of, like, how, how you, yeah. like, when they call out to me. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can gauge the, like, part of your life by when yeah what someone calls you but then i know like i mumble a lot and for some reason like when i say my name no matter what i like can't say it correctly somehow or it's like heard mis- incorrectly so then so that's why you just say oh. it's like l it's just a single thing but then it's like oh al it's just like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's i would think be. that people would be like oh like the letter yeah that's what i what i thought it would be and then, yeah, <laughs> it's like, not that hard al like al green yeah yeah <laughs> like, no, Cool. Well, Elle is our current artist who has a solo show here, and we're also here with Michael Howard, who's our curator for the exhibition. Hi. Tiny high. That's all all I have to say. Tiny little tiny highs. The only contribution. I feel like you should get stuff started, though, because you like to ask the same question at every studio visit, and you didn't get a chance to do a visit with Elle at his place. Oh, you didn't get to ask the question yet. Didn't get to ask all. Yeah, the The one. The question. So. It's very easy. I always start off very simple, like, where did you grow up? Who, who got you to art? How did you end up in art? Was your family, you know, interested in art? What is... Well, I know when I was, like, growing up, I actually didn't like painting at all. Mm-hmm. I, like, hated painting. I thought it was really, um, I thought it was, like, really silly. My art teacher, Ms. Schultes, she, um, I was just, like, a real dickhead in middle school. Same. Um, and I, was, I would just be like, I don't want to draw these stupid pictures or like do the assignment and she set me aside one day and was just like listen if you just do anything in here I'll grade you on that and then I was just like okay that's so nice so then I started like just doing weird like copying old paintings but then adding like maybe a dog peeing somewhere just like something like really puerile and like just stupid and then I was like oh this is actually kind of funny I'm like having a lot of fun with this and I would show her and she's like this is actually pretty interesting like keep doing this and then I started like getting more into like emulating old paintings and like drawings and just in junior high yeah yeah junior high, going yeah. To high school so, mm-hmm. so I mean I was there with yeah him. he was, <laughs> he was a pretty you were there Michael? I was literally there. yeah he was Whoa. he lived across the street from me I, we had most oh. of the same classes together. It's like, it's funny because Miss Schultes has like had like the softest demeanor too, to yeah. where just like 
you being a little bastard. Like, she's just like, she was so kind. Please, literally anything. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a modicum of effort. Public school teachers. Yeah. Try so hard. She was really earnest about everything, too. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you known each other? Not to side grade. Since the third grade, which is like 2001. 2001, yeah. But yeah, she, was third grade in 2001? For us. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I moved up here. Never forget. Yeah, I, I was about to say, <laughs> I, moved, I moved up here, and then like three months later, 9-11 happened. <laughs> but yeah, Michelle, she kind of like helped me understand that painting, or like just art in general, is whatever you kind of want it to be. And that was sort of like a thing that I didn't realize I needed. Mm-hmm. You were saying you were looking at old masters. Did she just have a bunch of books that you were looking through, or not like the old masters necessarily, but definitely like a lot of like old, like a lot of like old Dutch paintings, a lot of like old Japanese woodblock paintings, just like a lot of kind of um, not like I necessarily iconic pieces, but just like random random things. And like I not that I could like remember any of them, but I do remember like the first one that I ever did and it was I just remember it being kind of like a bird's eye view of this like snowy scene in Japan and there's this like kid running in the snow I think towards like a village and this like little sort of like snowy ravine that was I remember the first image that I kind of like copied and then that was the one that I incorporated like a little dog peeing in the snow like alongside (laughs) the kid and I was like yeah this is fucking sick yeah He's doing that S yeah yeah. (laughs) actually this dog is so rad years down the line I think um uh I like a certain point like as I kind of like kept like illustrating and like I kind of got more into like abstract expressionism because I thought it was just like super raw um Mm -hmm. and thought that it was like a really cool way of like if done correctly it can be super expressive but then I think like around that point I'd like failed high school and realized that or like kind of thought that like can be recognized for this work if I didn't have any technical skill necessarily. So I was like, if I, I feel like if I wanted to be respected in any way, like I had to achieve some sort of like technical ability. Figured if I could paint as like realistically as I could to use it to kind of like deliver a point aesthetically, then I would feel pretty good about that. Like essentially kind of like a really tightly wrapped vehicle. And then really started like looking into like old Dutch masters through like they kind of being like inspired by like Christian Rex Van Minen, who like went into it because sort of interpretation of like the Venetian method and stuff. You know what's hilarious is I used to art handle with him oh, in really? LA. <laughs> he, is he? I would imagine he seems really nice. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's super. And his work is like really interesting. And then it was nice to like him constantly posting like his unfinished work helped me kind of like understand these techniques a lot more, and then try to apply them to my work. Um, and then also like reading a lot of the books that like he had suggested and just doing a lot of like research on the internet about like how these things worked like visually and like technically and like what materials were needed to like do it Um, and then in like my kind of time fucking with it like I realized it's not like my thing but it was so helpful so so helpful especially with like the last show like um trying to paint like a lot of ceramics through that technique but but yeah basically I failed high school and I was just like I need to get good and then I've just been trying ever since Um, were you an IB? yes 
because I remember IB being being useless. What is IB? It's, you know, International Baccalaureate. So it, it's like, you know how there's AP in high school? Yeah. And then the step above that is IB. We were in that together, but I, f- I feel like it was funny that you were in, like, like remedial math or something like yeah. that. But then, like, at the same time, turning around and being in IBR, but also both of them just being equally... Just useless. <laughs> like, they, I feel like the courses themselves, so we're, like, we were given that much studio time was good yeah and having like miss larson around was helpful like in a bunch of different ways like whether it be like life advice way or yeah. or like having a resource to like bounce ideas off of mm. but at the same time like being wrapped in that focus it around this test yeah made it kind of useless but it's just funny like the juxtaposition of like you being in the college art class but also like just in the remedial, like in your like failing them just holes, being but, like, an absolute <laughs> dog shit at the rest of school. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like this might be too personal? But do you feel like you just weren't interested? Mm, I was. I think in retrospect, I think I was really bored. That's well, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, in math, I was definitely. Just, I was. I've like always been bad with numbers, and mm-hmm. I ended up failing because like my math teacher just didn't like me. Um, I have exactly the same story about why. Yeah. It's not exactly the same story, but I have a similar math story about a teacher who didn't like me failing with a 64. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like senior year. Um, yep. It was like my English teacher, uh, I think my science teacher, and then my math teacher, Ms. Gall. They sat me down with the principal and they're like, um, you know, you have, you know, you do well at tests and like whatever, you just kind of fuck off a lot. <laughs> so we're gonna force you to stay with us for the last month of school and like every day after school you do what we tell you to do and we'll pass you and then I did just that for like every teacher but then Mrs. Gall was someone who was like it's like everything that you did only amounts to like 63, 64 so like you're not gonna be able to pass and I was like you fucking serious um, but then yeah I was pretty pissed off a lot of like other teachers like they liked me because they knew I wasn't stupid I was just kind of a little dickhead right. um and they tried to like appeal to her and she was just like no fuck him i mean i'm also thankful for that because it kind of like put a little fire under my ass um so you've known each other for a long time and have you worked to have you worked together on a show before or like have you just known michael you've known ella's work for such a long time yeah i've 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 known that i've wanted to curate something with him eventually for a while but it was a combination of both of us not really being in a point to where it could happen. Yeah. For me, I, I, I've been so slogged trying to get to the point where I'm comfortable in, in the art career. What some people probably like kind of waltz into, whether or not they're working hard or not, they have uh, yeah, less uh, hurdles to clear. What? Rather than growing up obscenely poor and it's hard to work for free when you're 23, like doing all of these internships that a lot of people are able to do. I mean, I had to do it anyway when I was 24, working for free while I was still in school and working full time outside of that. But um, I feel like I, I was at the point to where I was able to actually put in effort and feel comfortable that I would do his work justice and also Joe's. I mean, Al's work has matured enough that I feel like it's. Not, not, 
I don't want to use the presentable, but it's ready to be shown on a grander scale. On its own. Happen. Yeah. On its own. Yeah. 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 I mean, because you were at Rachel Efner's and now you're at Field Projects. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, the, it's, the, it's a fine step. Like, there's a, no, I'm not going to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've already reached out. Oh, I was like, Field Projects. Field Projects. I was like, Field Projects was too good to go to Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> we said no to Freeze. Yeah, they turned down Freeze. Yeah, we would not go to Freeze. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, like, we would not go to freeze ever, right? We would never go to freeze. Yeah, we don't we need to get too much. We, we don't need to get Anyways, too much into the, the art market. The, shit, <laughs> the, the just throwing shit at the art market, like, fuck you. It's okay. Well, no, it's say, more so I, it's more so like I work for. It's the situation where I get. We've got names. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's part of the whole, like, myth of being an artist and the desire to not participate in the market somehow. But Ooh, yeah, trying to kind of subsist yeah. off it. Yeah, you yeah. kind of just have to acquiesce to it. Yeah. Um, but really, I want to go back to like, so you've never actually done a show together. No. no. But you've known each other since like third grade. Yeah, yeah. I just stole his artwork out of his. Well, I asked him first, and I just took it out. Of he in fact did go into my like the studio in my parents' house and just took a bunch of works. And I was like, yeah, that was sitting there for like four years. Yeah, I Michael basically peed on a painting of mine once and was like, "It's mine now." It's pretty good, wasn't it? I got. Apparently, one painting that I like referenced in, at the Rachel Efner show, like the the duck mm-hmm. that was hanged. Apparently, that painting actually got stolen um, when it was shown ages ago, and I mm-hmm. don't think I think it's yet to be recovered. Um, that's something Austin from the gallery he told me, which I thought was a really funny fact. But there's a reason why he told me that. Because I stole your work. Well, yeah, that's I'm a little thief. Yeah, and now it's in my room. The sins just keep racking up. The sins keep racking up. <laughs> You've never done anything together. Well, it's, it's great that it's here, and you're, both of you have came, made it to the level that you want to be. Right, yeah. exactly. Now, then you high-fived and started making the show together. I'm sure that is how it happened. Yeah. It's like a volcano in the background. <laughs> it came, yeah, came into my apartment and held me at gunpoint. I was just like, we're doing We're doing a show together, otherwise otherwise you're done. You're fucking done. I mean, it has been, you have tried to pitch this show a couple of times. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, yeah, you've been, you've been, he's been mentioning to like. But I think he's also like been doing that to like years. many people. Yeah. Right? Like, not obviously, not just yeah. me could, and field projects, whatever. It could have been anyone. It didn't uh, have to be. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. No, I just mean like he's been championing. Champion? Champ- Champion. I can't fucking say that. Champion. <laughs> uh, your work for like a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, obviously, we're sitting in a show that's not totally finished. So we yeah. don't even know what it's going to look like. But it's a really different show than the one that you just did. Yeah. But I'm glad that we got here. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like it came out of doing the studio visit and like falling in love with the underpaintings that you had. Yeah. Um, I know, like, usually when I do like underpaintings for, for paintings, um, a lot of the times, like, really like how the underpainting itself looks. Um, mm-hmm. And it also kind of like feels nice to look at an image that exists and it's kind of just like this uh, ideal. The suggestion? Yeah, or it's yeah. like this like idealic kind of like uh, apparatus, like this like ghost like thing or um, kind of the, the underwear of the painting. But for it to be like structurally so sound and not be kind of like dressed in paint. And I, I feel like that, I, I don't know, just like the way that they kind of like come out always looked like really interesting to me and then 
it's like I know as someone who like is still struggling with like value when I'm painting like mm -hmm. underpainting is like the only way that I can like really get the painting to places that I feel like I technically should because mm -hmm. it's easier to just use like one like one chroma but then also think like in thinking of like underpainting I always wanted to do like show where it's just like all strictly underpaintings and like painting a single element that I wanted to kind of like really highlight um, and there are like some parts of these paintings like the underpaintings that are like more painted than others and some that are just like completely like empty sort of like spaces but I don't did that make any sense? I feel like I just talked for so long and I don't, I don't remember what you said. <laughs> 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 I keep that. <laughs> um, yeah, it did. Um, we were talking about the underpainting and like how we got to this place in the exhibition. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And we ended up at like why there's this kind of spectrum of painting and the expectations you had originally and then like the reality of working in the studio and like time constraints and all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Which is like a super important reality that you have to deal with when you have a show coming up that you're just like, okay, so I wanna do this. But actually I think those kind of time constraints are really good in a lot of ways. Like yeah. they just kind of force you to make the work and then you have to make compromises that break your rules. Yeah. Because so much of like having studio practice, I feel like, is about making a lot of rules and then being like, and now those are fucked and I have to throw them out the window yeah. and like do something else. But then it's also like really cool because if a project can't be completed in time or like if you have like a certain like parameter that you want to operate within, like if it doesn't work out the first time, it's like I feel like I do want to go back and like kind of keep exploring like underpainting and painting like only single su like subjects. I know when I first started the show, I thought that I could like kind of take a shortcut by tinting the second ground on this canvas, mm -hmm. which could like I thought would take a lot of like just like toning out of the way. But then um, that was not at all like the right thing to do because <laughs> um, there's just like so much involved with just like an initial underpainting, just like really determining the value and like starting at a, at a gray tone um, and I'd have to like operate off of this middle tone that kind of like fucked with my head a little bit um, so then because of that like I had all this like canvas prime that like I just basically was unusable if I wanted to like finish things in time so I had to like go and get pre-prime canvas and stretch and then like kind of attack it again after like just like burn three weeks <laughs> Um, and then like on top of like working full-time um, it took like the past couple of weeks off to like really kind of like get into things um, but yeah like having a sort of like vision for something and seeing it not get like fully completed but then coming up with ways to work around it and still make it work I think is like pretty a common thing for like a lot of artists which is also still really good um, yeah I mean I think that sort of stretching that you're talking about is like where all of the real learning kind of comes from. Mm -hmm. right? uh, you're a mechanic, right? Mm -hmm. And you, so you work full time as a mechanic, and then you paint a car mechanic. Yeah. Okay. At night. Just asking. Not a plane mechanic. Or. A I mean, one of the biggest fucking paintings that's right over Elle's head as we're talking is a car crash. So <laughs> I'm specifying. <laughs> it's a really weird. Oh, car crash. Yeah. 
it's really funny. I feel like I can't give away the context because it would take away from like how yeah. beautiful it is. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy. Yeah, don't give away. <laughs> but um, yeah, I work as a car mechanic with my brother and my dad in Kingston, which is really kind of a joy. Because um, I love working with my brother, and it's nice to see my family and like to be able to basically work like just bust ass and then like all that money is going straight to my family is really like fulfilling yeah and also just like working on cars is like really really fun like i'm not like my brother my, my dad's obviously like incredible at it my brother is so much more involved with cars um he has like a much more of like a fine knowledge of it and i'm just like a r and r guy kind of just like still pretty like you know i do some like pretty simple diagnostics but my electrical abilities are like I'm a really bad electrician, so any like electrical problems, like that's not my forte. Well, I was just actually going to ask you, there's a book, Shop Class as Soulcraft, have you read that? Michael, that's like a really plain name, uh, I'll remember it later, but uh, but it's about a guy who has like, gets a philosophy degree, grew up on a commune, gets a philosophy degree, uh, is, becomes an electrician, ends up in a PhD program, ends up in DC where he has where he's working for a think tank mm -hmm. and hating every moment of his life um, and then ends up quitting that and moving to Richmond and, and starting a motorcycle shop where they fix oh. motorcycles right? and he talks about the the, uh, the intellectual labor that he does in order you know in order to fix a motorcycle compared to the intellectual labor that he was doing in the think tank, which mm -hmm. he felt like they paid me so much money because it was like my life was useless <laughs> because it wasn't like everything that we were doing was sort of soulless was was bad for mm -hmm. it was like for the for the world for everything and it was just um, but in this but then also in this case he's like you know like he said a lot of things but one of the things that I was that I was thinking of was a motorcycle comes in and it's broken and then it's just your job to go through every little thing to find out where it's broken and then fix that and then it leaves like it leaves running yeah and you're like and there's something really wonderful about just being able to go from this to that it's just like having like a tangible um response to like that kind of labor mm -hmm. yeah it's really cool to like be a part of that and especially like witness it especially like hyper complicated like things um especially like with certain like engines and stuff like that like uh it's like watching my brother like do a leak down test and he was like really going super hard trying to figure out why there's no compression in this like Subaru and him like coming like coming to like an actual conclusion and once like uh, it's either like it had to get like machined or like just get a new engine and the time <laughs> constraint that we had it was just like oh they went something like not in our control happened it was like fuck we have to get like an entirely new engine mm. um, but then you know did all of that and then like this car is just like up and running within a week and it's like cool especially to witness someone like have like that much knowledge and something that's like so functional and to be able to like basically resuscitate it um it's like such a it's like very different from like yeah being in a think tank or yeah even like, what was it like being in the studio compared to that i guess it feels like it feels really um I mean, it's like such an, uh, like an emotional and like yeah, psychological intensity in the studio that goes into like trying to thoughtfully make a work, but then 
the work itself kind of like serving as a vehicle for some kind of idea that I'll have, but it's not necessarily helping anyone. It just, <laughs> it just like looks nice and like to me has this like crazy like ideological backstory, but it's so specific to the image. And like, if somebody gets like a takeaway from an image that I make, then that's really cool. But um, I don't think anyone's going to be able to look at something from the jump and just be like, oh, I completely understand exactly what all these elements like are trying to say. But it also seems like sometimes you're just making things to make yourself laugh. And also like to, that are jokes to yourself, right? They're not necessarily like super happy funny. Yeah. But they are sort of like playing with maybe two conflicting ideas that you have mm -hmm. or like this sort of high idea and then a very low idea and you're putting them together or something mm -hmm. like there's a lot of that yeah so it feels like your studio practice is instead of like going out and fixing cars and it's like you fix it you figure out what's happening you fix it you give it back you don't see it anymore this is more like work that you're doing to sit with yourself mm -hmm. um and to like also help yourself think through help yourself think through like whatever right you two yeah. are just fucking like dropping shit <laughs> everywhere <laughs> we're doing a work contributing like, I'm like super drunk <laughs> no it's, it's more it's more so it's that the end I, of the I'm I'm an only child and if I if I don't do antics after like five to ten minutes he doesn't get I, enough attention He's yeah then I start freaking the fuck out it's um yeah I, I came out feet first and yeah. now I'll go out feet first <laughs> that is so <laughs> fucking dark yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know. We all know. But that's like sucked also, out of the airplane. Keep, just. keep that in. That's like pretty much yeah. the vibe of like making a painting. It's just like, oh, I really like uh, this weird niche object. Like, how can I incorporate it into my lexicon? And then organically, like as I like play with it, it's just like, oh, right, here's like the punchline to all these elements that I find have like some some like symbolic significance, and then just fabricate an image and then most of it ends up being yeah like a kind of like an inside joke with myself and it is usually pretty dark yeah, yeah. um but then um i mean it depends on like how the, the images are used like uh, something very not fun could be happening but the elements that is happening to are like odd and out of place and that's kind of like funny to me um just like this like like absurd sense of humor yeah, it can be like material or texture jokes or color jokes or like jokes that are like this one or even, I mean, both the wall right when you walk in, what you look at immediately are both like, I mean, they're obviously jokes to me. Yeah. Both right. of these paintings. Yeah. And um, um, okay, maybe I should say that we're looking at this Snoopy fridge painting and then also a lock with lightning. Yeah. And um, like the... I'll go into the fridge one because I, I feel like that one's a little funnier. Well, I mean, well, yeah, that one isn't a little funnier to me, but they both are. The one, the lock, reminds me of another painting that you had that was like a gun locker painting. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a, I like, it's like kind of just like a, an image that I took of this like SAS member mm -hmm. breaching like a locked aluminum door. Mm -hmm. um, and I like play around a lot with the idea of mostly incorporate like, a lot of theology into my painting, like, specifically like, Christianity and Buddhism. 
Um, but that one was kind of like more like a nod of like a, those doors were supposed to be like, oh, this, like, this is the door that like leads to heaven. And it's like, it was like paradise, right? Because yeah. it was kind of like the idyllic hunting scene kind of longer. I, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm trying to remember. And, and uh, um, painted on the doors are like, it's like a, a part of like um, the Garden of Earthly Delights okay. by Hermes yeah. Bosch. Yeah. And it was like the more like heavenly arena. Mm -hmm. um, and just the idea of just like heaven having been like really like closed for a while and could be something sinister behind the doors to heaven you know it's been sitting around for so long there has to be a whole breaching team to go in and see like what's and to investigate like what's really going on back here um which i to me is like always really funny because there's so much like not absurd anxiety but a lot of anxiety in like christian theology because um, it's like such a fear driven in the United States, at least. Yeah, and it just doesn't feel like... A, I mean, I've met like a lot of like Christian folk, especially from my parents' church, who like are very like earnestly like into it and are like really sweet people, but then even then, still like a lot of their belief is mostly driven by the anxiety of like, what happens to your soul after you die? And then kind of just like acting in accordance to... or like as an appeal to like basically secure their afterlife. And then trying, yeah, and even like just proselytizing, kind of like not so much out of like a out of a sense of like a desire to help others, but out of like a sense of duty, which I think is like really counterproductive to a theology that's so like uh, is meant to be so like inclusive and super spiteful, with like a re like revenge seeking like sociopath. And, they're just yeah. like yeah. Sounds like, like you had personal experience. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up like very, very just like going to church three days a week and um, yeah, that's a lot. Having to sit in on it. Yeah. And, um, I like left. Basically stopped going to church because I started studying like a lot of philosophy, like specifically like existentialism. And, um, started getting into like trying to understand like logic proper, and then. Um, kind of like finally was like thinking about like, okay, thinking about human life, if, you know, thinking about like we have free will and existentialism, like we basically like have the opportunity to create ourselves like every single day. But in Christianity, like God created earth and like he basically knows how everything is supposed to go down with every single like living entity. And I had this idea of like, well, you don't really have free will. If anything, your life is just a game of dominoes. It's just like, the kind where you just set them up and slowly they just like all fall down and it's all pretty predetermined and I brought this like question to my pastor and he was just like he never gave me a definitive answer he was just like well it's just like God's will I was like well if it's God's will then we don't have free will and it was just pretty circular and there's no way out of this like weird kind of conundrum so I was like so this is already like a, like a logically a farce and it doesn't make any sense to me and I also just seeing people certain people like behave in the church and I was like this is yeah. kind of bullshit so I don't really care for this anymore. I feel like you've had a similar oh experience. yes growing up I had a very similar experience except for mine was something very simple like well if God wanted people to believe in him he would just simply give like do miracles constantly right. yeah because we're just every every millennia yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. One, one, yeah. one big one enough enough times <laughs> yeah are you sure you don't want these blessings bro? are you sure yeah these blessings these <laughs>
primo blessings. Come get this blessing, please. From a guy like me? So you Come have on. this tattoo, though, on your leg. I'm sorry, I can't help but look oh, at it. Yeah, the, because we're, like, talking about Christianity. You also have a Sacred Heart tattoo with, like, like a palmet of flames yeah. and a cross coming out of it. When did you it's get real that? Grimy, uh, I actually gave this to myself like, like a few years ago. Yeah, that when makes I was more like sense. practicing like, stick and poke. When you were 20 something? 29, 28. Yeah, 29. Because um, I was like into like stick and poking for a bit and then uh, I just always thought it was a really beautiful image. I mean, granted, like, all right, I'm not too keen on like the general ideology of like a lot, like, most theologies but I still really admire the Bible for like the tales that they have and there's like a lot of really great writing in it and a lot of like really writing. cool yeah. yeah like the book of Revelation is such a like a head fuck it's so fun to read so crazy but then like a lot of like you know old religious imagery is like also like really gorgeous so I'm like part of a painting of just like this woman holding like presumably like the Virgin Mary or something holding this like flaming heart um, like the sacred heart and I just thought it was really cool so like doing a simplified version of it was really fun I mean I like, still the imagery is like really sweet um, and it's just like I'm, I feel like so tied to it because it, it ends up like incorporating itself into a lot of my work whether like intentional or not um, and I'm sure like pre-consciously I'm like still grappling with like you know the theology itself like all of the weird things that are involved with it my relationship to it because there's always moments where it's just like I like, feel like I have these moments where I think like all of a sudden I have this flash of just like holy fuck like I could die like any second usually when I'm driving and then it, I just become like incredibly not like 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 crippled by anxiety but just like this wave of like being entirely conscious of like my presence kind of comes existential over. dread yeah basically just like this yeah existential dread um, I get that every time I drive on it's a 9G yeah, 9G, yeah, 9G. Right by, right by fucking, right by, oh god, what's the bowling that? alley? No, I get it, I get it. That's usually No, right. in between Germantown and Hudson. Yeah. Like, that, that is like that. Driving that. through the kind of trees and shit that are up there? Kind, kind, kind of. of. For me, it's like like a part of the, like the commute to work. Yeah. But for some reason, there's something about that strip of road that's just like, but usually it becomes like after like five minutes, if it doesn't completely take over me, yeah. um, then after that I'm just like, okay, well, if I, I know I'm going to die at some point. It could happen anytime now. So I'm like, okay, I should make some changes. I should make some moves. So it's like really inspiring for me to like feel these moments of like, you're going to fucking die at some point and you don't know when. Um, but then it used to be where like I would get like anxiety attacks thinking about death and then thinking like, what if, like, what if Christianity is like true? Like, what if that's it? But then also, like, there's just this whole fucking smorgasbord of theologies, and it's like, well, which, what if one of these religions actually is real? And it's like, really, it was like really funny to sort of like entertain that. Mm. Well, I feel like the show is not necessarily about that feeling, mm. but is related to the way that you do this kind of, um, hmm, I don't know what the right word for it is, but entrapment thinking. Yeah, it's definitely kind of more like, like, kind of like the idea of like selective hearing, mm -hmm. um, or just like, a, sort of like confirmation bias, where it's like, yeah, kind of like falling into this idea, like these moments of like existential dread, like what I take away from it, instead of just like, um, grappling with my mortality, I'm like, I have to work more, instead of like really thinking about like this 
conversation where like they kind of just like can witness something and kind of be fixated on a certain detail as opposed to like the bigger picture and um, kind of fixating on like a specific idea either to like appease their heart and soul and mind or whatever or to distract themselves from some sort of like spiritual malaise or even just like uh, some kind of like ADD moment because um, I do that a lot it's just like a it's like, oh yeah, did you hear that fucking, you know, somebody got fucking shot over here? It's like, oh, that's the place with like the really dope new McDonald's, right? And then like completely like foregoing like the actual event at hand and being like just so kind of like, kind of like, I don't know, silly brained in a way. But there are ways I think that people do that to kind of like, out of like a sense of utility, out of like willingful distraction or like um, some kind of sense of security or... Yeah, just yeah. even just like uh, to kind of like affix some kind of like um, feeling to something, and it's all entirely subjective. Can you talk about this work then? Uh, uh, I mean, that seems to I'm I'm looking at it from my point of view. I'm I'm looking at it as you're telling me. Yeah, about yeah. thinking about let's that let's just stuff. also say we're so. all sitting on the floor in the middle of the gallery, and Jacob is eye level with one of the works that's hung real low. Mm-hmm. Could you describe it and then? Yeah, for the. Um, so this is actually like basically this, uh, like a, a nod or like a moment of this painting. It's basically a scene that depicts um, all of these kind of like nuns dressed all white and they're basically laying out these saints in this in a crypt or something. Yeah, like a crypt. Um, and there's one um, saint in particular, Saint Callistus, who he was um, he. Uh, he was sort of like a figurehead in the Catholic Church that um, was an incredibly forgiving and like very like lenient um, individual. And there was another person who wanted to become like slated as like a pope or like someone like really high up in like a cardinal. Like a, yeah, and um, the one that was like really against him was like he's a fucking heretic. Like he's like basically like he did what Jesus Christ did but like as a human was just like oh you're fucking up that's okay like let's talk like it's no big deal like that's just how shit goes like God is pretty forgiving um, but it became like a pretty political game between like him and this other guy like, the other guy just like was just like fuck him and tried to get him like kicked out of the church but he ended up getting like slated as a, like the, a figurehead and whatever kind of like I don't know position he was in and then the other one basically put him on a shit list and after he died basically wrote these stories about him that were like kind of false to make him look like an asshole um but there's this painting of him like that i saw at the musee de Rosay. Mm-hmm. i just butchered that but um no, I didn't. and it was it was just like a really gorgeous painting but there's this moment where it's like it's him like laid on his back and his like thumbs are wrapped together with this like white cloth and they put like um these like flowers in his hand and um, I just thought that it was just like such a beautiful moment I mean he was entirely illuminated essentially but just this moment of like his hands so gracefully holding these flowers really stuck out to me and kind of just like for me like so personally inspired by just that tiny moment and then was just like oh I should probably like figure out what the yeah. context of this painting was and it kind of just like felt like in action was exactly what I was talking. I was like, I was so transfixed by just these like little flowers in his hands, mm-hmm. um, and completely overlooking the idea of like his history and the fact that he's dead and like it's this like really sort of like ceremonious moment. Yeah, it's like the McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly like the McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but then yeah and it's like kind of it's trying to like hone in on that even deeper where it's just like it'd be so nice to make this an underpainting but only kind of like render out the flowers and have them like illuminated just like being so transfixed with this tiny idea and um, there's this like text that I was reading about kind of like a sort of like more like scientific approach to like there's no intrinsic meaning to anything um, but it basically this like like a neurobiologist is like oh yeah people will basically interject their um, their sort of like projections or their interpretations of things into scenes to say there's like a certain like land, like actual physical landscape that someone could be like oh I love coming here because it's so beautiful and so calming but then you can take someone else and they can like walk into the same scene and be like oh, I hate this place like this is where like I got my like one of my teeth knocked out by some fucking bully or something. Or if you have allergies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, same thing, like, flowers are always, like, they're really, like, a really good one where it's just, like, oh, I love these flowers. Like, my ex gave these to me, like, on our anniversary, and, like, it's really, it reminds me of them, and it's really sweet, and then someone, I think it's, like, lilacs or something, and then it's, like, oh, I fucking hate the smell of lilac. They, everyone can have, like, their own interpretation to, like, one specific thing, and, like, what they take away from it is, like, what really has meaning really comes full circle like there are moments that people like just will be fixated on that either like because they want to or need to or yeah because they want to cope the subject matter like i didn't know previously that this was a painting of the dead saint pope Callistus the mm-hmm. first and that being on the wall with the car crash painting they're both aesthetically and all, aesthetically technique and subject matter are like near to each other yeah in like a very very nice way what can you talk more about how these are are related to each related other to i mean there's also like this absurdity <laughs> of the car crash too it's not as if there aren't funny I know that question was for Elle. I'm just, I'm trying to articulate what I was thinking about. There's also something funny about them too that like touches on the McDonald's statement. Because mm-hmm. it's not like you didn't hear the person say to you that someone got shot at this place. You're just going immediately to the like irony of it and the thing that you can hold on to that like goes away from the thing. Are and they... that's kind of like in both of these paintings too because yeah. of the like absurdity of the car crash the focus on the flowers and the hands rather than like the dead body itself yeah you know there is this kind of like flipping of the moment that's happening in that um and i feel like that's like one of the key things that i see your work being really interested in and i want you to kind of both tell us more about the car crash painting because Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about it that much and it's a big painting yeah (laughs) in the show but i feel like um like contextual polarity is really kind of funny just I, like I'm a huge fan of harmony if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and like I, I think like in big harmony guy huge yeah, yeah, like always big harmony stand um, I think like in my life like learning things I feel like in practice like harmony is really important um, and disharmony is really funny like I think like to take things and harmonize them in a way that's like like mixing oil and water has this sort of like comedic effect to me Mm -hmm. like I had this idea of like making a sculpture of like not making a sculpture but kind of like fabricating a sculpture of like a Prius and like an old Ford F-150 
and putting a bunch of like super racist like bumper stickers like NRA bumper stickers and shit on the Prius and then like NPR stickers and shit like that on like the truck because they're already like these symbolic like of um, especially like upstate it's like yeah. symbolically you see a truck and you're just like oh this dude's a hick yeah. probably has a gun I don't know like all these like you know stereotypes whatever yeah. um, and then to kind of like take them both and kind of like intertwine them in a way that is is kind of absurd I think it's like really to me it's like really really funny um, and it just like feels like out of like situationally like out of place but then by kind of like combining those two moments so like instantaneously it feels like a car accident which I th- everyone loves to see a car accident I don't care what anyone says um, yeah I mean maybe not witness it happen and like not see like what happened but everyone everybody stops rich, for it everyone rubbernecks yeah. everyone loves to rubberneck Mm-hmm. Um, and I with like the car accident painting like I you know seeing like I like think of like ideas as like you know these weird moments of like harmony lack of harmony but it, when something kind of like jumps out at you it's just like like with my ADD head I considered like like thoughts that come out of my head like as car accident ideas because it's just like these cars zooming in and out all the time and something's like oh shit that you know this should be a thing and then that's just like this moment of impact um, and then thinking of just like a car accident as being like pretty like you know, cataclysmic for people um, I thought it'd be funny to kind of like confine this moment of like impact but then when you zoom out it's just actually like a kid playing with two toy cars but then kind of like when you really like hone in on like a certain element of it you just think like oh this is a pretty gruesome car accident um, but then I feel like these two tied together it's like yeah like there are so many different like tales that could be spun from the both of them being like just hung together but then especially thinking of like especially upstate like when a car accident happens especially on some the side of the road like there are always like these little memorials that are left mm-hmm. like flowers or like little crosses or something for the person that was like a victim of the car accident like on the side of the road and it's like these little like these little memorials yeah, um, roadside memorials. Yeah. yeah, and then um, kind of like thinking of like the this painting of like Callistus with these like flowers, kind of serving as like a memorial to the victim of like whatever fake car accident this is. There are like these little like kind of secret stories and like context that just like seem like really funny to play with. Um, so then I figured like both of them being like in this sort of like uh, for die would make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, it's like to take either or, like you can take these two images and in, like like interject some kind of context. But for me, it's mostly just like a, I like to imagine like St. Calissa's died in a car accident and like those flowers are this roadside memorial in like a really weird way. This is his funeral from the car accident. Yeah, and it's just like, here's like how he went out. But it still ends up being like, it's not really what it's <laughs> about, but it's like for me, kind of like a really funny way of framing it. Um, but ultimately, it's just like it's here two scenes, basically like pretty hardcore devs in process. Um, Normally, Jacob would be the dickhead who's asking you about Barth, but <laughs> <laughs> wait, have we not talked about Barth yet? Did we not talk? Oh my god! I'm not I thought we already talked about Barth. We have not doing my job. We have not. Talked I about just Barth. already thought we talked about Barth. You Jacob, can be the dickhead tonight. Jacob always is the one who brings up, but I just want to know if you've read In the Ring, which is from mythologies. I have not. I have not. 
because um, it's about wrestling and the spectacle and how every moment and movement in professional wrestling is about the kind of coordination of the moment and how it communicates meaning to the viewer immediately mm-hmm. versus boxing where it's a calculation about like everything is actually like this guy got punched in the last round that affects them now but because yeah. of the the fact that professional wrestling is around a spectacle mm-hmm. and it doesn't I mean Barth was also talking about French wrestling not American wrestling okay. which have slightly different dynamics from each other yeah but fundamentally, it's the same principle. Like, if you can like, think of, like, WWE, that's kind of what I he was, was talking about. I was thinking, yeah. like, grappling wrestling. Oh, was he talking no, about... No, he's talking about, like, like the spectacle oh, of, like, going okay. and watching wrestling. Okay. What are you reading right now? Um, well, now I'm, like, kind of reading for fun. Um, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading um, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Um, but I was reading, um, well, I was reading this, like, uh, text, this text, like, the universal, the principles of the universal vehicle, um, basically going, it's, like, a really sort of, like, in-depth dive into, like, Tibetan Buddhism, Mm -hmm. Uh, like, this book called, like, Truth and Context and, um, Place and Time by this other person who goes into, like, Sort of like what the yeah what this show is mostly kind of focused on the, so about that fixated moment or or about like the like the um, basically just like topographic existentialism or like like geographic existentialism or at least that's the example that he uses a lot is like nature even like things that are like objectively beautiful are not objectively beautiful yeah it's um, impossible to define yeah. something across culture and time yeah. And then it's like, kind of leads me to sort of like believe that like, the only sort of like truth is the one that you kind of make about something. There are like, you know, actionable events that are just like these like logical sequences of circumstance that just happen. But then what somebody witnesses and interprets from that is like their own sort of like developed truth. And I feel like universally there's generally a sort of like, um, resonance kind of like a more like populist resonance with these subjective truths but then there are moments where there are people who sort of develop their own truths and end up having like uh, a bunch of other people that kind of like are in tune with that truth what? like um, Donald Trump still being president or um, be the Beatles being good <laughs> be yeah but, um, yeah, and it's kind of, like, makes me think, like, I don't, it's like, there's a moment where it's just, like, I don't, truth does not necessarily exist anymore. Um, events exist, but then truth as, like, uh, here's, like, this solid, like, like, binding kind of, like, a quintessential, like, spiritual thing to glean from an event. Like, that doesn't necessarily exist in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, d- whenever defining something specifically is always tricky or impossible or like has to do with the moment or yeah. where you're at. Um, I mean, we, we talk about science a lot and trying to, or I talk about 
like getting to like the quintessential truth of small things. Yeah, yeah. but it's like also knows that it's impossible to like the the effect of the science like, is viewer. the best. My thing that I always say is science is the best system that we have. Yeah, but even then, it's still like a human made system. It's still extraordinarily flawed, and, and it's a human made system, but wouldn't be improved by AI. Uh, I thought yeah, you were yeah, saying no, science was going to be the best. You mean the movie? Yeah. Movie. I actually, 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 I think it's also it's, ar- it's arguably true. I, I have seen the village. I actually, I did. I actually rewatched Signs. And yeah. How was it? It was fun. I forgot Joaquin Phoenix was in it, and I love him so. Yeah. Much. Um, but to touch back on. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, I watched it like last week. Um, I was like falling asleep, and I was like, I'm gonna watch Signs. <laughs> Um, okay, anyways, sorry. But my friend Theo, he made this, like, really interesting documentary. Um, fuck, what was it? Was it, like, on ESPN, ESPN, like, 30 for 30? I think that was the one where he basically, yeah, where he basically went, did a documentary about, like, Hawkeye, which is this, um, this sort of, like, uh, camera that's used in tennis games to kind of, like, really dictate, like, really close calls. Oh, yeah. But then, because it's like a piece of technology, um, it, ha- it operates within certain parameters, so it can still be off, even though it's meant to not be off. It's meant to be closer than the human yeah. or yeah. something, maybe? Yeah, and, and yeah there's, like Hawk. And there's this... <laughs> oh, my God. I can't handle... <laughs> there's this one phenomena that he touches on um, with, with, like, uh, astronomers from, like, back in the day, with, like, the... Telescopic equipment, like the telescopic equipment they had, um, they thought that like, was it like the moon going behind the sun? Like it created like the light created this weird warped effect. So like they assumed that this was like an actual tangible moment, like that they were witnessing. But in reality, it was just the glass that they had was like kind of warping, like distorting the light that they mm-hmm. saw. But for I think for a while, this like phenomenon was just like, oh, we have to figure out like what's going on with. Mm-hmm this like event but so everybody using the same sort of technology at that time created a belief yeah off based off of that that was objectively incorrect yeah <laughs> and, it's, and it's like as like humans we're still like really like our capacity to like understand things around us is still so limited like either from like like I constantly think about like praying mantis shrimp that can see like what like almost like 200 more colors in the weekend just because mm-hmm. its eyes are receptive to like UV light and just How's like a pistol shrimp it's mantis shrimp mantis, mantis shrimp, shrimp. Pist- pistol shrimp can like pistol shrimp are awesome okay I'm sorry they're so really cool yes. I can knock it yeah they're pretty cool, yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. cool. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm thinking of a different cool shrimp no they're all cool but also like yeah no mantis human shrimp. no human can like technically punch that hard especially underwater speaking of boxing well yeah mm-hmm. Like Mike Tyson could. Mike Tyson, I don't know, man. Well, no, mathematically, we'd have to figure that out. You're weird. But, but it's just like that whole thing where it's just like, uh, I mean, the way that even like how we see color, like that um, Joseph Albers thing where he like had his class imagine Coca Cola red and trying to reproduce Coca Cola red from memory. And like, mm-hmm. not only like mm-hmm. is it hard to just like imagine that color from memory, it's like, trying to color match it and whatever like your eyes are actually physical like physically capable of seeing like even if you could remember it like to a T say like if your eyes were just like faltering like like their photoreceptor cells were like not functioning as well as they could 
I still wouldn't necessarily be able to process the information of like the true color of Coca-Cola red. And it's like we're only equipped with like a pretty finite amount of tools and to apply that to science is like, I mean, I look, science is great and I'm a big, I'm also pro-harmony, pro-science, but there's still like limitations to it and I think, I'm sure like everyone in science knows that, but I feel like they're like... Yeah, but some people like to ignore it. Yeah. Right? Like, like to ignore their biases in mm -hmm. science. Um, and that's like my big issue with the scientific community at large. Yeah. Is like p-hacking and like all of the shit that people do to like, oh, you know, like I kind of want this result. Like how can I set up the study. Right. Not everyone does that, but there's lots of that in and science because you want to get grants. Like it's all about it because it's all about working within the capitalist system. Not to go there on every single fucking podcast that we do, <laughs> but there's so many problems with the fact that like everyone is struggling for money in this country, and it dictates the way that we do everything, including the thing that's supposed to be creating truth. Yeah, right? that's supposed to be creating like. No, this is objective, as you just said. Um, and because of that, there's like so many studies that are just completely like based on either like a really small sample size or whatever. And then there's yeah. some journalist writes an article about it and then it gets communicated to everyone, right? And that's really the problem is the way that science is communicated and like whatever. Yeah, yes. there's so many pitfalls to yeah. trying to find truth. Yeah, whether like the intentions are good or not, um, and my only my in any field, yeah, right? in any field, not just science. Yeah, it, we could be talking about whatever philosophy, art. Yeah, and my my only approach to it is like being cognizant of the fact that we lack the faculties to. I think like a, it's like we're trying to dig a really large hole with a very small shovel, and being like, yeah, we can get to the end of the world in like about this time. And it's like no, like I don't. It's physically impossible. Like, you don't actually know what is beyond there and like you just want to believe that and also like the tools that you have like you're just not going to be able to do it um i mean we can build tools that can help us like augment that i'm sure but uh i think we're you know i think we're all constantly in a state of lack and to be cognizant is like pretty important did you both already talk about lack quite a bit no or you no. didn't this is a word that like super stood out to me as I was reading the writing that you did, mm -hmm. correct? Um, I wanted to know more about what lack means to you. Um, I think like uh, <clears throat> every human has like a sort of possessed like certain qualities. Um, and like possess certain things, but then to basically like be cognizant of what you don't have becomes like a real sort of like um, navigating force to try and like achieve that. And then I think like a lot of people were, will like forego certain things to kind of achieve something that they might think that they lack, um, like whether it's pursuit of money and foregoing principles or like mm -hmm. a pursuit of like a career and foregoing like 
family or something. Um, so like lack is part of the spectrum of desires. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like lack is like just as important as like to actually possess something. Um, because to not have something is just as much of a defining factor as having something. Um, it's like a, I feel like Jack talks about this. It's, it's all like pretty like Hegelian bullshit, but um, like you don't necessarily have to have like tangible properties to be defined by something. Um, mm -hmm. Like a, it's like a, you know, seeing somebody who's like so wildly rich, I mean, like they're probably like they're most likely like suffering. They're probably like a huge loser. Like what they do mm -hmm. have is like indicative of what they don't, and then that can kind of be applied to the mm -hmm. self too. And it's like what you do see also negates like what you don't see. Like I really love that um, idiom, like you can't see the forest for the trees, um, which I think is supposed to mean like you can't see the big picture here or like the grand point. Um, but I think like, yeah, like. Well, that's the, the same thing that you're getting stuck on a detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, to be stuck on like a certain like positive detail, you completely like negate a context or like an entire event, um, which is a pretty, is like can be just as like a like revealing moment. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, these are different ways of processing. Yeah. Like there's like, like I kind of process painting by, I get, I find a detail and I go up to it and I start there mm -hmm. and then I kind of move out from it because I'm not a painter. Like I was, I haven't been trained as a painter or took the time like you yeah. to <laughs> work in, <laughs> to figure out how to how to paint. But I am interested in the the little the the small amount that I know about technique to like kind of go into it and figure out. But I think I was also, I was more educated as a conceptualist, I guess, like a, you can do any medium, Yeah. It's the, every medium is, is a possibility for every project, so, yeah, and so, um, yeah. Well, so that's because me, you went to art school. The, yeah, it was because I went to art school, but also because I, <laughs> I, <laughs> also because I had a life before art school. <laughs> you, you just went. That was a real. That was a real reaction. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Well, I was just thinking about processing and this thing that you're, you're kind of experiencing, mm -hmm. and the sort of the going to something in order to begin processing the larger thing. Yeah. Maybe. I think it's. So it's just like, um, like you're saying, like you, uh, or like thinking of like uh, to want to get somewhere out of like a state of desire. I feel like, um, like in Buddhism, like suffering is like kind of a when you desire something, you kind of initiate the sense of suffering mm -hmm. because you understand like your lack of it. Mm -hmm. um, but then I feel like to understand your lack of something. Um, it kind of is like a different like mode of operation, mm -hmm. I think at least. Or it's just like to understand that you're lacking something. It can initially like oh like what I don't have like I can try to find, as opposed to like or it's like what I want. I kind of like it's like a, out of like a like I think it's like out of like want and necessity maybe. I'm still trying to like kind of figure this out for for myself like spiritually or it's like to be like in a state of lack 
um, you can be cognizant of it and then be like, oh, I don't have this, but I don't necessarily need it. But to be in a state of desire, it's like, oh, I don't have this and I want it. And then to be in a state of lack and to like kind of like come to terms with that, this sort of like weird kind of like uh, stoicism to it, I think can be healthy depending on the context, I suppose. But to, yeah. To, to, yeah, to desire something, I think usually desire has like a negative connotation to it, or it's just like a, I don't have enough money, so I'll do what I need to do to get more money. It's like, oh, I don't really have much money, but I'll make do. So that for you is acceptance. No, no, go ahead. Either that has a negative connotation or it's like obscene romanticized at the same time. Be something like Desire that. to where it's like, it's like the enamoration mm-hmm. of something. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. I think, I think, well, I mean, to be cognizant of lack doesn't, I think, like, like, uh, to be cognizant of, like, lacking self-control. It's like, okay, like, I need more self-control. It's like trying to figure this out in, like, a weird logical way. It's like... I feel like they both hurt at the bottom of your stomach. Yeah. But in a different way. Yeah. I feel like desire is something that... They're two opposite ends of a spectrum of something that you're talking about, and lack, in a way, has something that's a little bit more, like, accepting of place in it or something, or, like, place in the world, and desire is more like this wantingness, like a desire whereas lack is attached to, like, this kind of giving up, like, I don't have this. Um, and I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but different ways of dealing with this experience of not being able to access something right it's about the accessibility of it yeah and I you know coming up with like having this conversation and like realizing like oh shit like I should like dove into this more like on a like so like not as a part of practice but more of like yeah like a sort of like way of like really like truly like sussing out the formula of it where it feels like a sort of like logical package but it's still something that I'm like very much discovering. It's really lacking in like this information for what I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lacking the information about Brought that. Brought it, yes. But then, uh, but then I think it's like for me, like I think like lack and desire, yeah, like them being on opposite ends of the spectrum, but like desire ends up want, like kind of like, to me it has some sort of like association to surplus and then lack kind of has this association to like, um, kind of breaking even. This is mm-hmm. a terrible thing to fucking say, but it's like the maximalist and minimalist versions of a thing. Yeah. Right? Like desire is this like profuse, excessive thing. Mm-hmm. And lack is much more like sort of settled in its place or something. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a, it's like, I, f- I cut, like the way that you describe it, like in the spectrum, it's like surplus. I'm also like, not smoking weed. <laughs> just, just so, <laughs> just for the record on this podcast, just like at this very moment, is it because I'm vaping? No, she, uh, no, no, she's just saying that she's like she's talking vape. about existential, like funny existential yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm like, so yeah. it's like about this thing. No, I mean, like that's like you know, it's like t- like toying with that idea. That's why, like, I like like weed, weed, weed head thinking, where it's just like, oh, you're really like diving into something that's pretty like surface level declarations but then it's like you know worth really taking note of the the idea of desire has this like this like reaching up towards something and then to be in a state of lack is like reaching down into something Mm -hmm. to kind of like elevate the 
to yourself in something that's like uh well this is an interesting question like do you necessarily inherently desire if you lack right like because that's kind of what this conversation is coming down to and yeah no i mean you're shaking your head yeah no because you can but they both take a context of you lacking something right like a desire come can come from lack Mm -hmm. um lack is you have to have you have to see something to know that you lack it but you can also not see something and know and feel that you are lacking Mm -hmm. right yeah um but once again, I'm not sure if that's true because um, you're in a body and your body kind of maybe could dictate what you think you're lacking, right? Yeah. And I always think of like, when I think of like lack, I think of like the self, like, uh, you know, like finally like having like, like a really good therapist and like thinking about like, oh, these are things in myself that I feel like I, I've never really had. Like, like, part, like parts of myself that I think that I lack, like self-esteem and self-control, like things like that. Um, those are like priority conversations that I had like early on in therapy. And now I'm having conversations about like things that I desire. And it's like in my sense of like self-lack, it's kind of like bringing myself up to like a level sense. But then now like in things that I desire, like now I feel more like mentally in tune with myself. And now I'm like, okay, now I can kind of start to reach out for things that I don't maybe like necessarily need per se, but things that are like you know, personal goals, or like tangible things in a weird way. But yeah, but that sounds like it. Like you're you're you don't know what you're lacking, but you're sort of moving through the world, and then it's in a certain sense you're kind of getting a mentor or someone else who has experience yeah that is like oh you know it seems to me that you need to work on these parts yeah in order to kind of like create an even keel for yourself yeah and i guess like even you know thinking about like my self when i was younger just like having conversations or like seeing like traits in other people they're like um i used to have like a pretty like bad temper so then like i you know when i was like drinking too much and be super happy to like instigate a fight like hop into a fight um and then now it's just like no you know it's not really worth it i mean i still can like kind of like lose my cool depending on like someone's being fucked with but to know that i have like that kind of like in the reins um kind of feels yeah like this sort of like to become more stable out of like a cognizant sense of like i lack like a control of my temper but I also like see that in like other people where it's just like they could be fucked with and just like you know understand like okay whatever like pick your battles type moment mm-hmm. I think that's just aging and maturing maybe <laughs> yeah but then also like a kind of like yeah but a lot of people don't do that and also when people get older sometimes they get meaner and shittier I don't know I, I feel this like resistance to this idea of it being just about aging because all growth can happen in kind of all directions. Yeah. And so it's not necess- it's not like a set thing that you're going to get older and be less angry. Yeah, that's <laughs> why that, I mean? well that's why I like, said maturing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I feel like maturing is more context. Anyways. I don't know. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, the the concept of maturity in our society has like a this 
the traits that are attached to maturity are about like a moral social consciousness Mm -hmm. and therefore I feel like using the word maturity well then but I mean like all of our words are in that social consciousness like all of the all the words that we use are in this this culture so but then there's like a sort of like bind like a sort of like universally binding contract of like this is how you're supposed to behave to exhibit mature like properties Mm -hmm. Um, and then to like it's like the dominant normative like whatever is what I'm saying it's like that's what maturity is said to be yeah you know um, not to be like it's about like being neurotypical and like being a blah 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 blah, whatever but like kind of is right like this idea of like how you have to be a certain way in the world and that's achieving maturity yeah um, that's all I meant is like it's about a standard set of things that you're supposed to conform to and if you do that you've achieved maturity yeah yeah I think that's I mean that's definitely true but I think it's it's true for that, that I mean that, that's what we're talking about truth is the same thing that it's like uh, that it's I mean I think about it in a platonic way that it's just like there's there's something out there that I can't see, which is the true thing, mm-hmm. and I'm only getting shades of what it is. Yeah. Um, but I also there for me at least there's a certain point where I was like, well, we all just have to fucking agree that that's a chair, and that <laughs> and we all agree that it's a chair. Sure, there's lots of kinds of chairs. Yeah. And we agree that we're going to use the word chair to describe things that have these qualities. Yeah. Possibly. But then fundamentally, it's like you know, chair is basically anything that you can sit on. Yes. That's it. It's like uh, if you can sit on it, it becomes a chair. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think with maturity, it just, it's, it's like a what? Sorry. Chris is mature. <laughs> I pointed at the floor because we're all sitting on the floor. Chair. <laughs> I see. I That's, thought it was funny. Nobody it was funny. It was funny. It was funny. It just, we didn't understand what the movement was. <laughs> hey. I think it was very funny. Michael never thinks anything that I say is funny. That's so. true. That's That's true. true. Michael I mean, is, easy, is easy to amuse if you're not me. <laughs> Michael, I think Michael just goes out of his way to let you know that I'm not that, that I am not amused. I'm just not amused. We can we can talk about. I think in this context we can talk about like the underpainting and the sort of the shadow as you mm-hmm. said the sort of whatever the the lack of finish. It's like, a, it's like the lack of context. Well, at least like on, mm-hmm. on the paintings themselves. Yeah, it's multiple so. kinds of lack, but yeah. that's definitely like a major yeah. a major part of it, yeah. right? Like where you're saying there's this imaginary of these kids like playing with these cars. Yeah, but then like what you are actually witnessing on the canvas is like a pretty brutal car collision. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the standalone image is just like, just that, but then you take a look at the bigger picture, and it's just a child playing with toys. Yeah, and I think it's like this, like a fog or something. Like you're, like you're saying, like that you're kind of getting stuck on these little things because everything else sort of feels like a like some things are like kind of overloading the system, and, and that image has become the fog. Yeah, because these are all just like <coughs> meant to be so like witnessed events. And like almost like pretty recalled, and like it was like brain fog, just poor memory. Like I have really bad memory, and if I think of an event, I'm just like, oh, I just remember this happening there, and it's just like, 
Oh yeah, I know. Like that was, you know, we were at like your grandfather's wake, and I was like, oh, well, I just remember there like being like my favorite drink or something. It's like yeah. some bullshit like that. Yeah. My memory works the same way, and I think it's your, yours works very specifically too, but not in, I don't think in the same way. Is that right? You're able to recall a lot of information. Um, and I think I'm able to recall a lot of like, I, it was sunny and warm that day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Chris is like, the, this is the name of the person that was doing the thing. This is how it happened, like the set of events. Yeah. And mine was like, I was feeling happy and then not sad. And then yeah. it's like, and then we had an ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like the, our memories are constructed around the like way that we privileged different senses. Mm-hmm. And they're like affected by those senses. Yeah. Like I'm really bad at direction and if I'm like in a neighborhood that's like pretty familiar, it's only familiar because of specific landmarks or specific like things. I'm like, oh shit, like there is that like yellow sign so I know now I know like exactly where I'm at. Um, and now I know where to go. And then if I try to give someone directions like, oh just you know, you go two blocks. If you see like this restaurant then you go right. And then you keep going down, and once you see like this one thing, then you like just walk like twenty paces, and then you're gonna be there. And so it's like, why don't you just give me the fucking street name? Give me the address. Like I don't remember the address, <laughs> but I know how to get there just by seeing like you certain little things that really stuck out to me. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just like those little things that like stick out that become like a tangible presence in like your memory. They're like okay. So the way that I think about this often is accretion points, mm-hmm. and by that I mean like the place I can't even see the chest. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the whole, I see the eye now. The whole head is. Look, most people are made to body. see faces and things, but I'm made to see breasts. You're made, <laughs> no, you're made to see abs. <laughs> That's um, but no, really, like it. I completely see the horse now, and it says titties, and then has titties. Oh, yeah, it's just like I was. Uh, oh no, I'm so sad. It's not a chest thing about <laughs> yeah. titties. Like I thought it was a. Flat chest. I, like, yeah, now she thinks it's a shit painting and you need to no. just tear down the show. We should probably but cancel it. We have to cancel the show now. <laughs> this is Unless just, you can make this is just about the <laughs> irreconcilable gap in the way that people read objects. Well, honestly, it's the, that's like there's between lack and desire and <laughs> desire to see a chest. Those who contain lack can see a horse. Those who contain lack can see the horse. If you come to the show and don't see the horse, then you, you have too much desire. You're filled with too much desire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much desire. You need to go home and reflect. I contemplate. It's okay. I'm a maximalist, and I fully own that. So. Yeah. Is that like I'm a, okay with being associated with desire and not lack, because I think more about desire. Like a champagne lack. communist. <laughs> uh, wait, a yacht communist. What we're saying. Exactly. A yacht commie? Yeah, everyone gets a yacht. A yacht commie? It's funny if it's a pirate yacht commie, but not the other way. I would fuck no, with a yacht. No, you're yacht. I would, I would happily be given a yacht. Yeah, for a while. I'm not gonna say no. Yeah, you're gonna. Somebody like a here's yacht. a yacht. Like, okay, mm-hmm. sure. What about the people that don't have yachts? Everyone has a yacht. I don't have a yacht. No way. In this scenario, everyone gets a yacht. I don't desire a yacht, but I'm definitely lacking in What's a yacht. Happening? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we are not facing. Expensive and I 
hill, you know. Oh, the yeah. supermarket doesn't have fucking oat milk, so it's <laughs> fucking do this. Kind of true. So like, what happens if this and that? But it's just like I like this anxious moment, just like fuck. Like, instead of like what if, it's just like this is gonna, this is most likely gonna happen, and then not really seeing the greater picture, which is like oh, like that could be a dead end, like an old dead end sign, and then like oh fuck, this is a dead end. Like, you know, that's it. We gotta turn around. It's supposed to, like this is the fucking destination. Check out these fucking flowers. Like that's kind of the point. Like don't look at the dead end sign. Like look at the flower. And it's just yeah, I'm not to this sort of like. Uh, dead end thinking <laughs> that's like pretty I'm just like trying really hard to like not render the flowers that are in front of it and just highlighting the dead end signs that being like yeah instead of like you know fixating on something silly or something like um, beautiful just like being fixated on something that's just like not necessary to think about but it's just like really kind of like a thorn in your mind so yeah in the Yeah, that's it's like just like a little oh, spider web. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm yeah. just like gonna finish rendering out the face and then, you know, seeing like oh this butterfly is stuck in a spider web, but like that's kind of the moment. It's like this thing struggling. It's like oh, but there's like a really silly face in the spider web that I saw. And like yeah, kind of like that moment. It's just like overlooking a catastrophe and seeing something like really silly for whatever reason. But also the spider is super funny. Yeah. Spider is like pretty funny, especially like that one where it's like uh, this one's kind of really funny to me because like outside of the painting it's like oh no this butterfly is gonna get eaten by the spider, but then below the butterfly is gonna be like a hand holding a lighter into the butterfly, which is like this mm -hmm. event is so bad, but then it's kind of like a this like what is that reductionist moment where it's just like oh like that has it pretty bad, but you could have it like way worse. <laughs> um, it's just like you sound like a dad. Yeah. Out, of, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. yeah. Blah blah blah. And maybe the spider is actually trying to save the butterfly from the flame. Could be a lot of things happening. Why does he sound like a dad? Is that what you just said? What did you say? Yeah. Dad. Like out of the fire, out of the flame into the frying pan, out of the frying pan into the flame. That's a, that's a very dad thing. Yeah. That was what I said. I know. Anyways, um. We spent a while talking about the paintings and the work. The last question that we always ask people is about like upcoming things or things that they're working on, but let's hold off on that for just a minute. And do you have I anything else? I just wanted to ask, um, I mean, this is, I know there's no answer to this, but what is the sort of ideal visitor to come and see this work and connect to it? That's really hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, sometimes it's just, like, it's another version of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if, I, like, I'm always happy if somebody sees a work and then they kind of interpolate a painting and, like, kind of, like, fix it to themselves. Like, the last opening, my therapist came with her sister. Because she is just like, oh, I love going to shows. Like, it'd be really, like, I'm curious to go see your show. And I was That's like, amazing. Yeah, opening. So she came with her sister and like she was basically just came as like I love the work, it was nice to see it like through our therapy sessions and to see it in person. I brought my sister and her sister is like, Oh, this painting really speaks to me to show like how a mother would really protect her child. And it was a painting of um the two ceramic deer in this like road in this like hellscape. 
And um, it's funny because like that was not necessarily like, the intention of the work. It was just to show like, oh yeah, they're both pretty fucked in this like <laughs> in this hellscape. But mm-hmm. she took away from it just like, oh yeah, this like motherly instinct to like take care of her child. And for me, it was like really really touching. Um, and she didn't know that it was like this like different like sort of interpretation of a Buddhist hell. But I think like if somebody comes away and like takes something for themselves like that, I think is. For me, is as a real success because to you know to make a work is like one thing, and to like charge it with something is something else. But for someone to actually feel like like engaged with the work, no matter what their interpretation is, like I feel like that's a real for me is really really important. Um, and I know like there's this whole like this whole scheme for like how the show is supposed to like you know kind of be like a, a conversation about like context and being fixated on certain like truths and non-truths, but that, you know, unless, like, you read the press statement and, like, even, like, under- like I don't know, like, want to understand that, it's not, like, the easiest thing to kind of decipher. And, like, I feel like a lot of art, like, you, know, you can't necessarily, like, really pull out the true meaning of a work. Um, so I, I mean, personally, it's, don't... it's not fixed. Yeah. The true meaning of the work. Right? Yeah. It's not fixed. And I... Honestly, I just hope that people like will come and see it and like take away with it what they may. But as long as they take something away with it, um, but if anything, they can try and find a face and a chest. Yeah, yeah. Like, is this like titties? Thinking about titties, like that's cool. It's a chest, but it's a chest. Yeah. Like, that kind of reminds me of that Matisse painting of the chest with the hair. Shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Agreed, but I didn't I'm see a horse. No, I think your therapist wants to know. <laughs> Some serious body dysmorphia happening. <laughs> I'm trying really yeah, hard. Yeah, like with their arm, the ears, like their armpit, where he's down. I just like really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can like. Okay, yeah. I'm like seeing. Now it that I know that it's a horse, I completely see the horse's eye, and, like that it's an ear, and whatever, and the hair. But we not. <laughs> we need to actually have a an ending. To okay. This what is the ending that you you had a question that was the ending? Well, our ending is always so. I always, both of us always like to end by asking, what is the kind of project that you're working on now, or do you have anything upcoming that you're excited about? Not necessarily art-related, but can be art-related. You know, off the top of my head, I know I have um, a few shows slated for like the end of the year. Um, and then I have another solo show at Jupiter Contemporary in Miami. Um, it's like this really cool space around by like Gabriel Colombo. Um, to do that and pretty excited about that. I have like some intentions for that. We're kind of like focusing on like incarceration of the mind. Still have a lot of research to do to try and like figure out how to address these mm-hmm. paintings. And, um, and then I have something set with this gallery in, um, in London called Workplace. I always say workspace or workplace. But they seem really sweet. And it's just like a the like viewing thing so I'm just going to send like a few works to them and um, a group show that my f- um, friend Mike Mosby is curating in Hudson that seems really exciting um, thankfully only making one painting for that and then another thing in Geneva that uh, this person I met Rachel Cole is trying to curate Yeah, but that's all happening at the end of the year. I think like after this, I'm just going to take a 
break for a second because I. You've been doing a lot of shit. And I think I realized my yeah. capacity for like what I can output within like a eight month span, seven month mm-hmm. span. You don't want to get stuck in the just producing to produce cycle. Yeah, and I realized like I can't, I can't just make paintings. Like there has to be some kind of like a weird heartbeat, and then just like work around that. Um, otherwise, yeah, otherwise I'm just going to be reiterating points that have already been made. And it's incredibly unfulfilling. <laughs> that's that's great. That you have so much going on. Do you? Was the was Rachel's show really helpful? Yeah, that was a really huge jumping point for us. Right. Just like being approached by a lot of different people and trying really hard to now be like, oh, I can't do this, and I'd be happy yeah. to do that. And thinking about my time wisely, and yeah. I think um, after the show, I'll have like a few months to really just like get back into like reading things that I want to read and like doing weird bits of research and. Enjoying yourself, enjoying yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also now that we you've shown it field projects, it's like kind of. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's like really exciting to show here too, because like I mean, I this is like a a show that I don't think that I would have been able to do without the idea of like oh like I can experiment with like this idea that I have and like getting to understand this idea a lot more and trying to like deliver this weird kind of like idea in painting and like this sort of like weird philosophical context um, so for me like it was like really great opportunities to just like kind of like fuck around but like play with a notion in a way that I don't feel like I would be able to happily do it with like a, some institution or something or like a random gallery yeah yeah if it was like a gallery that super wanted to sell all of your paintings <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that we don't want to sell your paintings but I mean, well, we the thing that I want for a show like this is for you to be able to accept, do what you're saying that you feel like you can do, which already makes me feel like very good about the show, which is yeah. just experiment with something you've already been thinking about. Mm-hmm. And also, like, your underpaintings are great. Yeah. You know, like, these two paintings, which are very much underpaintings mm-hmm. for you that I don't feel like you would normally show. Yeah. They're both wonderful paintings. I mean, I'm looking at the death wall, which is... And it's like weird to like do basically just like, oh yeah, I'm making paintings, but they're not gonna be finished. Mm -hmm. And it's like an anxiety inducing thing where Mm -hmm. it's just like, whoa, like it's already hard enough making a painting thing, like, is this finished? And then to like show a kind of like ostensibly unfinished painting and think like, what the fuck is going on? It's it's just like a really weird kind of headspace to be in and to operate in that is like uncomfortable, but also really fun. I mean, I think we have, we approached you two and Michael talking about when you show here to, we want it to be an experimental show. We want you to have fun and whatever, do something that you don't have to worry so much yeah. about on, in the, the sort of blue chip gallery. Yeah. I think like, yeah. And then like in doing this, like my, the biggest thing that was against me was just time. And yeah. then I was just like having like an initial idea and then thinking like, oh, okay, that won't necessarily work. I can try to do this. And then at that point, it's just like, oh, like time is like really running out and um, trying to find ways to just like play with that idea and still like feel really good about like how it's going to be produced. And it's just like, I like wish I had more time to play with things in a different way. But then it's also like, 
now I know. Um, and there are like different ways in which like this is being produced, which is like a way I've like never really done things before, which is also like really exciting too. Um, so you've now moved into desire. Yeah. <laughs> just, that's the one thing that I know that I will always desire is just time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That was great. That was great, Al. Thank you. Um, thank you, Michael, for sticking it out. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Michael. <laughs> Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening to our interview with Albert Perez and Michael Howard. We really appreciate you listening every week. And today we're just going to say two go-sees quickly and I'll let you go. It's a shorter episode than usual. And please remember to subscribe and like the podcast if you can. Our first go-see is Heather Rowe, Christina Ramberg at Heroes Gallery. And this show has been up since April, but it's open until June 11th, so be sure to go check it out uh, before it closes. And this is new work by Heather Rowe in conversation with Christina Ramberg. Both of these artists explore formal fragmentation of the body and subvert our sometimes hostile cultural framing of femininity. Heather Rowe is a young artist, and Christina Ramberg lived until 1995. So Heather Rowe's practice lives at this kind of intersection of sculpture, architecture, and film. And like an architect, she builds containers and frames for surrounding, projecting, and controlling bodies in space. It's an excellent show, and I would really recommend that you go check it out. Another show is a recommendation by Jacob, and he would like you to go check out Heidi Lau Gardens as Cosmic Terrains at Greenwood Cemetery, which will be on view at the Catacombs from May 7 to July 3, 2022. Entry is free with a ticket that's considered a donation, and this is in Brooklyn at Greenwood. So Heidi was in Jacob's show Squeeze Machine, which was only the second ever exhibition at Field Projects and was Jacob's first time curating there. And that was all the way back in 2012. So please go check out those two exhibitions and I hope you all have a great week. See you on the pod next Wednesday. also was like into it too because like apparently she screwed like their family out of this family will uh, so it was like some weird karmic retribution at least <laughs> yeah pretty sure something happened. like that something like that it's either scary. way like i don't feel bad for her misfortune i feel very confident saying that sort of like the karmic retribution that happened earlier today 
Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, that's Final Destination. That's yeah. not Karma Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. There's, there's, a, very a, there's a very fine line between those two things. Something was meant to happen to you, and then it happened to you. That's a lot different. 